Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. We're taking a short break for the holidays, so we're bringing you a classic from the archives. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So we left off last time with the discussion about the ladder of inference and the notion of test-driven development for people, which uh, seemed to be very interesting to others. And uh, Jeffrey, you had a particular approach to using the ladder, which was different. So the ladder, we remember, is uh, a mechanism for understanding your reasoning and someone else's reasoning and aligning them. That's how I use it. But you use it in a, a somewhat different way, and you, you were going to explain that to us. What, what, what you got there? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that the ladder of inference as a as a model that we talked about last time is very useful because you think about how you need to share your ladder and also to understand other people's. But there's also a way to do, use it to kind of understand your own thinking better, and especially uh, the annotated version. So once again, we'll put a link in the show notes to a variation of the ladder of inference that I've added. Uh, some annotations too. And uh, to remind people what those annotations are, on the one hand, uh, list some common cognitive biases. And then on the left, I list the uh, various assumptions of the unilateral control model, uh, which are the same ones that we talked about in our five part series about uh, how unilateral control undermines team results and relationships. So the idea is that you're, you're looking at the ladder and then you have these sort of reminder of cognitive biases and these assumptions that can cause problems. So we should probably remind people what the ladder is because some of them won't be able to look at the picture they're jogging or don't, don't look, don't try to look at this stuff while you're driving folks. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's a good point. So the, the idea is that when, uh, when we hear something, we immediately in our minds, uh, go through several different steps to come to whatever action we're going to take next. And this is something that happens instantly and automatically. And the latter is a, a tool, a conceptual tool that says, hey, look, there are a lot of steps between when someone says something and uh, you uh, respond. You know, So think about all the different steps. And the, the, the version that we're using comes from Peter Senge. And he, he has the, the steps of that from the observable data, then from that observable, then you have the selected data, and that selection is important because we tend to select things that confirm what we already believe. So we have selected data to which we add meanings, and then we make assumptions based on the meanings that we added. We draw conclusions from all this, and that gives us our beliefs about the world, and then we take action in the world based on those beliefs. So we, we have this ladder which starts with some some data out in the in the world and then ends with some action that we take in the world uh, and in between we have this process this mental process that's going on that connects us so that's the inferences that we make that the ladder helps us draw out that we're, we're actually adding uh, meaning to something as opposed to and i think we had this talked about before the naive realism which says oh we just we just see the world as it is and therefore the beliefs that we have about the world are simply true. <laughs> our, our beliefs just are reality. And in particular, they're shared by everybody else. So although they exist within our own heads, we believe that other people must share them, or if they don't, they're, they're just obviously wrong. <laughs> That's right, which of course then leads to us to question their motives when it's so obvious, then they, they must be willfully misunderstanding 
et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We're back to unilateral control, which doesn't work very well and doesn't get consensus and trust and all the other good things that we'd like. Yes, exactly. And now the thing is we, we, we describe it and, we, and when we talk about it sort of abstractly like this, anyone listening would agree and they would say, yeah, that's, um, that's clearly going to be uh, a problem. And so, you know, we shouldn't behave that way. However, uh, it turns out that it's very uh, seductive and attractive to end up behaving this way. It's natural and normal. These processes happen instinctively and automatically. We're not aware of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about the latter, and I think the way you use it, which you're going to explain to us, is that it helps you to slow down and to say, well, hey, wait a minute, how did I get from this data to this action? Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, and what I'm going to describe here is then an exercise that we did recently at a meetup that I, I organized. And if you're in London, feel free to sign up for it and join it. It's the London Organizational Learning Meetup. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And what we did is we we had people come in in this small group. Everyone brought in a conversation that they'd had that was a bit frustrating. You know, or in, on the spot, people thought up of some sometime that they had something that was maybe a bit heated, and they were upset about it, a bit frustrated, and um, that they had that in mind. And then once they had that in mind, I simply asked them to write down two points of data, and uh, what what they are is the end of the ladder. Uh, so I said, well, for the other person, what is it that they said, and then what was your reply? Yeah, so just two things, right? So just one person speaking, then the other, not the whole conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Not the whole conversation. You know, there's there's some really good techniques that use, you know, more data and more conversations. But for this exercise, it was just simply take some moment in that in that conversation or some exchange. And because you only really need these these two bits of information. So it could be just this could be all there is. You take this exchange. What did they say? What did you say? And then having done that. We now try to say, well, let's try to figure out what was going on in your head in the ladder to connect those two things. Mm. Because what they said was an observable piece of data that a videotape would record, and what you said was an action. So yes. the theory says that you should have gone from the one to the other, and you probably did it instantly because people talk pretty fast and <laughs> tend to uh, even talk before the other person's finished sometimes. So that this stuff is happening in, in half a millisecond. Yes, that's right. And then the, the steps in between are invisible to other people, and they're generally invisible to ourselves as well. And so then it's very interesting to work back and say, okay, when I said that, what was I thinking? And for each thing I can remember thinking, you know what? What was it? Was this was this a, a belief? Was it a conclusion? What meanings? What assumptions? Most of the work tended to be around assumptions and meanings, and they would realize, oh, I was making assumptions about what the person had in mind, what they're trying to achieve, and so on. And we we the, these this two lines of dialogue could could generate pages of notes on all the assumptions that were going on. So that by itself, just these two steps were really interesting and generated some very uh, interesting exchanges, and then. Having done this as as a group, we would go one at one at a time. Each person would 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 do this. We might ask questions, and and some of the work here was to help categorize, you know, things into was this an assumption or a meaning. And we said that that's not the most important part. It's just the most important part here is not that you have a technically perfect mapping of what you were thinking into the ladder. The point was to to become more aware of what you were thinking, and in particular, that you were adding things that weren't there in what the person said. Now that you might be right, like the assumptions you make about what people have in mind might be true. However, they might be wrong. <laughs> 
And that's one of the things I notice when I do test-driven development for people, the, the slow steps that we talked about last time for sharing reasoning and comparing reasoning is that I, I find that I really am slowing myself down quite a lot, that I'm, I'm taking it apart into small steps. That's right. And I, I can go a little faster after some more practice, but it still feels slow and that feels good because it means I can understand how I'm thinking and how the other person is. I hadn't thought so much about how it affects my thinking. I had thought about trying to understand the other person's story and, and not about how it affects mine. So, so what did people come up with? So um, what kinds of insights came out from this? I want to share one because it was really surprising when it came up. And it was as people were describing the context. And this came in a couple of different exchanges. Someone said, oh, we, you know, we'd had some conflict the week before. And I was like, interesting, conflict. Where does conflict fall on the ladder? <laughs> if, if I'm looking at a video camera, where do I see the conflict? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that was for me the biggest surprise because actually it turned out that it illustrated that we might have an exchange with someone and we might feel that we're having a conflict. The other person might not feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you could agree, you could say, wow, we seem to be in conflict here. The person might go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or they might say, conflict, what conflict? This is just normal. <laughs> That's right. This is, is, this is just how people, you know, navigate decisions. This is what I'm used to. I, I had uh, three Israelis in a, in a startup, two founders and one CTO, <laughs> and they used to go into, you already know the story, Jeffrey, so you know where it's going. They would go into a room with glass walls and they would shout and scream and pound on the table and point fingers and really go at it. And the poor developers out in the, the main area would get really nervous because the glass walls would be vibrating. I mean, this was really <laughs> vigorous discussion. And at one point when I was in there with them, I had to come out and say, guys, just because they were all standing there with their, their mouths agape. And I said, everybody, like, close your mouths, go back to work. It's okay. This is just how they talk. It's okay. They're all friends. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's going to panic here. And that was just their normal event. But anybody watching that would have said, this is a terrible conflict. These folks hate each other. They're, they're, they're out to get each other. They weren't. They went out for a drink after they were fine. Yeah, I've, I've witnessed that. I've seen other uh, people who are like that, that that's the way that the, the collaboration happens. And sometimes it's cultural and sometimes it's personal. But the idea- uh, I should that, say this is not true of all Israelis, by the way. These, these <laughs> folks happen to meet that particular Israeli stereotype, but that, that's not true of everyone. Before we get before we get emails, uh, that's right. You don't want to work this in the other direction and say they're Israeli. Therefore, <laughs> I can assume that we're friends. <laughs> exactly, that would be an uh, assumption. The other direction, which yes. would be equally unhelpful. The helpful yes. thing would be, which is what I did with them, which is to say, "Are we all okay here?" And they said, "Oh, yeah, this is just how we discuss." And then went back to pounding on the table. Right. Yes. Well, you just said there. Yeah, I could test it, and that's part of what we uncovered in so many times in these dialogues that people were acting, because remember we end with an action that people took, people were taking actions on assumptions that they had made that they had never tested. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing it, it opened up was, look, there's there's all these opportunities for testing and there's so many things that we're, at, we're adding. And we got some very you know rich internal dialogues about you know, when they asked this question, you know, what their intention was. And, and it could be like they were controlling, they were withholding information, uh, that was about status, all kinds of things that if you just look at the text, it just wasn't there. And it was kind of a surprise to people. Indeed. Well, bringing it back to the title of our of our podcast, were, were any of these agile situations? And some of our listeners might be saying, "Well, hey, wait a minute. This is this is nice general stuff, but but how does this relate <laughs> to an agile team? Was there anybody who brought issues that would be relevant to to folks wanting to trouble to troubleshoot agile?" 
I don't recall if we had one at the meetup exactly, but we because we did the same exercise on the same day actually within Tim, where where we did have some internal agile team type discussions. Tim is the startup where Jeffrey is CTO. Anyway, carry on. That's right. So we had we had done this uh, internally, and so there were some in, internal examples, and also some ones with clients across the day. We definitely had both some personal ones, some work situations, some external uh, situations, and some some agile teams. The details differed, but the major insight that everyone was able to to get by sitting down and doing the work using the tool was to find out how much they were adding. And so I think this is these just these two steps provide a lot of value to people. But then we went one step further, and this is I think something that people will who've listened to our past podcast when we when we went through the unilateral control assumptions and you know how to undermine your team, and they listened to that and said, oh, you know, you, you listen to it and it sounds like. Uh, obviously wrong and you think oh people must be joking of course of course no one would ever behave that way of course i would never behave that way that's the crucial thing other people might but i never would because <laughs> i'm i'm right i understand the world i see it as it wait a minute now i'm doing it again and that was it and that cuz that was the punchline so for each person having gone through this shared and talked through their ladder they got a certain amount of insights, but then it really came home when we then said, right, now having done that, let's look to the left, let's look at the list of unilateral control assumptions and say, which of these do you think might have applied to your scenario? And and that was where people said, oh yes, okay. So yeah, I can, I can see here, I clearly felt that I understood the situation, you know, the assumptions I was making about the other person. Yep, I definitely felt that. Uh, yeah, I definitely felt like I was right. Uh, I know my motives were pure, and uh, yeah, I think my feelings were totally justified. And I wasn't contributing to the problem. I, w- I wasn't part of it. It was it was them. Yep. And to be fair, there were some people who said, "Okay, look, I I, I don't question their motives." You know, go, that's great. You know, so you don't have you're not getting all five of the unilateral control assumptions. But it was m- most people definitely felt that their feelings, and this is the, probably the one that was um, most commonly, I think, sim- simply every single person felt that their feelings and behavior were justified. They're taking actions in the real world. And of course they felt it was justified. And it was only when looking at these two things together now, using the ladder of inference to realize how much they'd added and assumed about the situation. And then that their beliefs were justified, putting those two things together had people going, you know, wow, I, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. And some people took immediate actions <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to go have a follow-up where I'm going to go ask these questions or share this information or whatever it was. Yeah. Were you really assuming that I wasn't interested in helping you and that was why you yelled at me? Um, or were, were you even aware that you were yelling at me? Those are the sorts of things that someone might do, right? Yes, exactly. Or, you know, when when you said, you know, this about anyone, but you knew I was the only person who could possibly be listening, <laughs> were you being passive aggressive? <laughs> or did, had you forgotten that everyone else was on holiday or, you know, that that type of thing? Got it. So what could our listeners do if they wanted to try this out and what, how would they use it in, a, in an agile context? So they're, they're in a standup or they're in a retrospective or they're trying to get some, some work done and, and somebody's not helping them. How could they apply this uh, ladder-based introspection? First thing I would say before you try thinking about using this in a standup, I would say practice it 
<laughs> by yourself. It's a thing you do by yourself, right? So unlike test-driven development for people, it's something you do. Uh, I haven't misunderstood it, right? It's, it's something you do individually to get insight. Well, I think it's something you do individually first offline. And then when you get practice, uh, having practiced it offline, you, you then get to the point where you become fluent and you're able to perform. I know you and I have uh, often used, in uh, various contexts, the, the piano analogy. Right, which is we can explain these models, people understand how they work, but you, you're not really using them until you start practicing, because <laughs> your goal is to be able to play it proficiently, like a concert pianist. And here's the thing: is the first time that that <laughs> pianist goes up, they don't do it in front of an audience, which is what happens if you try using it for the first time in a group of people live. It's probably not going to go very well. It's like you're trying to play a piece of music for the first time or play an instrument for the first time, perhaps. And I don't think that would be pleasant. If you if you had a lot of practice, sight reading is is perfectly fine. But if you if you don't know the instrument, you're you're going to make some pretty bad sounds. Try it by yourself first. Yeah. So it takes a lot of practice to get to that point. And the point here about practice, and this is the exercise I just described, is something that people can do. And I recommend that they do it with at least one other person. Uh, right. So you're doing it offline from the person you are interacting with, but online in person, kind of looking at it with a friend. Yes. You might have these misunderstandings with work colleagues. This is actually a great tool to, to use with the person who you had the misunderstanding with. Because you can use it and say, look, I have this tool. Can we try this together? Help me understand. I can share what I was thinking. I'd, I'd love to know what you were thinking. So after the fact, you can you can do that. Although that's you know something you can do with people that you have a good relationship. But even if you're conflict with someone who you, you, you don't feel comfortable doing that with, if you get another friend who's willing to you know do this exercise and hopefully you both do it <laughs> it's 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 helpful to practice if you can both observe and be the person who's undergoing this the scrutiny so can i can i try describing what our listeners might try as as homework can, can I see if I've understood it? Certainly. So they'd find some kind of interaction and it would be, I, I said, you said. So it's like a he said, she said, but only one. Yes. So uh, I said something and Jeffrey said something back or Jeffrey said something and I said something back. Mm -hmm. And they'd look for one of those where it happened and that could be as they're pairing with someone. It could be as they're working with a product manager to define a specification, could be any kind of situation in their team. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they take the ladder and take the nice picture after they finish driving or jogging or whatever they're doing. They take the picture, <laughs> um, print it out, look at it and say, okay, now I'm going to go slowly between what I said, or sorry, what he said and what I said and try to follow all the steps and do that with a friend to understand it. And after you've gone through all the steps, look for insights. For example, was I using any of the unilateral control assumptions? Uh, are there assumptions I was making that weren't helpful and that I could go and validate with the other person? Have I got it right? Is that, is that what we're suggesting? That's right. And the, the role of the friend here, because you might be wondering about that, is that they make you say things out loud that if you're doing this by yourself, you'll keep in your head. <laughs> exactly. And you'll just go do it quickly. You'll say, well, of course it was this. And then and then I get to hear. And you'll just alight over it. So you want the person there has two roles. One is to make you actually articulate things, make it concrete. So you're actually saying the things. And second is that they can then test what you're saying. And they can say things like, well, that sounds like an assumption. <laughs> you know, you're saying that was a fact, but why, why are you saying that? And, and this is an important part. Because remember, we're, we're describing a problem that happens, like cognitive biases, that these are part of how your brain works. This, this is the way our, our cognition works. And, it, and it, it turns out that once we understand cognitive biases, once we have these models, once we have these, uh, understand these assumptions, it becomes really, really easy to spot them. Once you know these models, it becomes really easy to spot them in other people. 
it remains just as hard to see them in yourself. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And and it's and it's not just our experience that I think in the book Thinking Fast and Slow, Kahneman, you know, he someone asked him, you know, so can you learn and train yourself out of these cognitive biases? And he's like, mm, no, because <laughs> this is the way that your your brain works. And he's very skeptical about people's ability to sort of spot these biases and errors in their own judgment because it's just simply how our brains work. So having the friend helps because they, they can spot things for you that you won't see. And, and similarly, when you're listening to them, you'll spot things that they don't see. And if you get a, a small group of say, you know, at least two, but maybe three or four of you doing this together, you'll learn a lot more and you'll start to have much better insight into your own behavior. And then of course, uh, once you've practiced this many times, you, you, you just start developing insights about yourself. Then you get to a point where eventually you can start actually doing this in real time, at least in some scenarios. You'll say, you're about to say something, so now wait a minute. <laughs> you know, Jeffrey, if Jeffrey was sitting here and we were looking at this together, we, he would say, yeah, you're probably um, making an assumption that there's the illusion of transparency here. Hang on, you're probably not being as transparent as you think. And you say, I'm not sure I'm being transparent. What do you think? Exactly. That's right. That comes later. Okay. Well, link in the show notes as always to uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And if you go out and try this, we'd sure like to hear about it. Email's the best way, and you can do that on agileconversations.com. And of course, you can also come back next Wednesday when we'll be on here again with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl. <laughs>